Welcome to Fear Less, an audio series designed to help you take action towards letting go of your eating disorder. My name is Jessica Flint, and I'll be your guide to helping you embody the recovered version of yourself. Like every human being ever to walk this planet, you and I are not immune to fear. It is biologically programmed into our brains. At the same time, I'm committed to not letting fear control my destiny and want you to have the same freedom. Every time we choose courage over fear, we grow stronger and receive what we desire most in regards to our recovery, our health, love, wealth, and impact in the world. In order to fully let go of your eating disorder and whatever is holding you back in life, you need to learn how to alchemize fear into courage. So let's lock arms and do this work together. Welcome back, my warrior loves. Today, we are going to be looking at navigating intense emotions, especially around these fear stories we have, these things that we're trying to change in our life and get blocked by fear. Now, in our last lesson, we looked at seeing a bigger picture around your fear and getting this higher perspective around your fear stories, your stuck stories, where you feel like it's just always going to be like this, kind of falling to that victim that it's, I, I can't see a world or a life outside of what I'm struggling with now. And I recommend if you're just hopping into Fear Less to start from the very beginning and listen to all the episodes in a chronological order because the lessons do layer upon one another. We often refer back to an old lesson in, in the current lesson. So it can help to kind of be along on this journey with us, navigating your fear. Uh, and speaking of which, I have my co-pilot Andrea Wells here with me today for our fearless adventure. So welcome back, Andrea. Great to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to keep working towards conquering our fears, working with fear, <laughs> having a healthier relationship yes. with fear. <laughs> oh, letting it in, being like, hello, fear. I see you. I'm not going to let... You control my life any longer. It's about taking back our power. And I've just really enjoyed this experience myself. I've had moments where my fear has been activated and it's given me opportunity to to work with this differently. So dear listener, I hope you are taking this from theory to practice to mastery. So whatever your fear is, we discussed some common ones. Uh, Andrea's fear that she's been working with is around body image and um, judgment, fear of body judgment. That's a very common one. People are working with fear of weight gain, uh, fear of introducing new foods. If you kind of have been had your safe list of foods, well, what does it look like to start to bring in more variety? And whatever your fear is, I'm mind in the more relational realm. So we're all tackling different fears together and just allow yourself to feel, I had this deep sensation today was just motivated that we're doing this together all in our own unique ways. It, like it pushed me. Like I had, once again, I had like a moment the other day and this morning and I had to forge through it in a fear less <laughs> way. Like just knowing that we're doing this all together and going through this together gave me that motivation. And, and I think that's something I've seen so often inside the Courage Club in the, when we have this other people who are going along with the same ride or on the same journey. It it helps because you're like, oh man, like I want to be a role model in some way or I want to show up in a way that I feel aligned, right? In integrity. So I don't know, Andrea, has, has that been an experience for you or even just being in Recovery Warriors, like <laughs> uh, working on our team? 
Yeah. No, community is so powerful in eating disorder recovery. And I remember um, I've appeared as a guest on Recover Strong in the past. And I remember in the fall of 2022, we did an episode that was like, what was the one thing that moved the needle for your recovery? And I remember my answer was community. And it was something that I didn't even know I needed. But there's so much power in A, just knowing you're not alone. You're not alone on this ride. It, it makes more of a difference than you would think if you if you live it. You'll see that difference. Just the feeling of like we're all, we're all in it together. No man is an island. And I know sometimes when you're struggling with eating disorders and like overachieving or perfectionistic tendencies, you may feel like you have to be that strong island. But there's there's beauty in leaning into support from others, and you give that support back, and it's a beautiful give and take. And mwah, I love it. <laughs> mwah. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna make out with it. I gave the no, concept a little kiss there. <laughs> I, I love that. That was like chef's kiss. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Um, yeah. And like there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of us going through this right now, going through this fearless adventure. So just know, yeah, as you said, you're not alone. And that's that's a beautiful thing. So community can be close knit community. It can be large scale community. We're all in this together and facing our fears, and for good reason, right? Because on the other side of our fear is truly what we we want, right? It's our freedom, essentially. And one thing I want to bring into this, because as we do our little intros here to like tee up into these lessons, because these lessons were all recorded uh, well over a year and a half ago. And first, I have to say, like. As I listen to them, I'm like, yeah, girl, like I'm gonna give my toot my horn this time. Toot toot. toot. It's like I've really grown since these. Yeah, toot. <laughs> I've grown so much since I released these. Am I absolved of my fear? No. Like I'll have to be honest, it's still there. It still even got triggered just recently. So it's like I, but the way I respond is so much different. Uh, the space I hold for myself is so much different. And just to keep that like for you to hold on to that you have this, where you're at now isn't where you're always going to be, especially if you're moving forward. Like I have been super committed to this, to really nip this in the bud. But even then, like, well, it even if it's part of my life forever, is changing my relationship to it. And why I bring this up is when we were talking about the responding versus reacting lesson, I could hear somebody who's struggling with eating certain foods, right? Pushing past their food rules, being like, oh, okay, so I'm afraid I shouldn't like respond because the whole idea was pause, wait till there's more clarity. You know, you're going to have snow globe brain. It's going to be telling you all these fearful thoughts. So there's some types of fears that you're overcoming with an eating disorder, which is stepping outside of your comfort zone with certain foods that you haven't allowed in or behaviors that you don't want to engage in. That would, I would say, be that's a perfect example of the power of the pause is don't engage in the the destructive behavior. Give yourself the ability to tolerate that discomfort, which we'll, we're talking about today. However, in those other ones where the fearful thoughts are running rampant, it is about still doing the thing, eating, uh, and even if you feel the fearful thoughts. So the difference with this, though, is that when you can anchor into who your recovered self is prior to getting into these snow globe moments, you know what the decision is. You already know what the right course of action is ahead of time. Now, I also do this with myself. I know what the recovered self of me, right? The the woman who is sovereign and open to love out in a place of trust versus fear, 
I know how she's going to respond in situations versus defensive. I like to think of me as like this cute little blowfish, this fierce, fierce protector that like she doesn't always help me out because she gets very protective very fast. And so with that said, it's like starting to notice, okay, I know that my recovered self acts like this. So the more we can understand that, get clarity around that, it helps us in these moments because the eating disorder self or the really afraid self is going to have a different narrative of how it should act because it's in protection mode. It really is trying to self-protect. So I just want to throw that out there when because I think there are times where you really are meant to actually do the thing in that moment and not just pause and go take a break and wait five minutes. Wait, like, is not like eat the meal now, right? In that case, an example of really facing food fears. That's an, I'm just being reminded of the concept of healthy self versus recovered self. So you're talking about like imagining your recovered self in the future. What, what do they do? And also for me, I used to experiment with a similar concept of, um, I mean, looking towards the future. I mean, it's all, it's always good to do, um, Futurizing is what my therapist used to call it. I don't know if that's a real word. <laughs> she called it like, yeah, like futurizing. Imagine your your recovered self and and imagine that life for yourself. And also in the moment, uh, with the healthy self versus unhealthy self, like eating disorder voice versus your not disordered voice. It's more like in the moment for me. Like those two 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 parts are still there. Two wolves again, right? And it's like, which one mm. are we gonna go with? Which one are we gonna listen to? because they're both there. And then as you ebb and flow through recovery, and if you're listening, you might have experienced this already, you'll notice that sometimes the healthier voice is louder. Sometimes the eating disorder voice is louder. Sometimes they're trying to drown each other out. One's louder than the other. It's all over the place. So for me, it's like leaning into the recovered self in the moment, in the future too, bringing it all together. And that can bring some clarity. And it's being really compassionate with yourself in the process, like, oops, I just fed the fearful wolf. <laughs> like, you know, and, and that's okay, right? Like that there's always another opportunity to feel the healthy wolf or the recovered wolf, like the one who's going to get you there. So uh, just being really patient with the process and knowing if you get into these fear stories, you get into these fear loops, uh, it's okay. Like this is all part of the process. And today, you know, we're really looking at this idea of managing emotional discomfort. And we, in a previous lesson, we talked about two important skills to really help you manage fear and anxiety. And the first skill was the ability to manage uncertainty. And so that's just to tolerate not knowing. This is so key in recovery. So many people like were like, oh, I'll do this if I know I won't gain weight, or I'll do this if... Or you'll wait to do something until you feel comfortable or ready or not afraid. And sometimes that moment may never come. That's why I'm always like, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, that's yours. Yeah. <laughs> Own it. Yeah. The second skill is the ability to manage discomfort. And so when we think about discomfort, we can have bodily discomfort, mental discomfort, and emotional discomfort, I think, is one that we really do fear. And eating disorders are great coping mechanisms to numb emotions, to distract from emotions. If the eating disorder is creating a whole emotional world within you that's all focused on shame and blame and disappointment and anger and like hatred towards self, well, then you don't have to feel many other emotions because you just created a whole big world of emotions and then you can even numb them further. I mean, but the anxiety, the depression, all of these thoughts that just can get focused into the specifics around food and body and weight, they, they essentially are taking you away from the larger participation in life. 
it can be a welcome reprieve sometimes for some people. It's a distraction, but in some ways it can be, it's a way to cope at that point in time. And so we're looking at developing healthier coping mechanisms. I think, Andrew, you talked once about how after you made a lot of progress in your recovery from an eating disorder, that you still had to kick some um, addiction around alcohol and Mm -hmm. how that kind of shifted once you did that. So can you kind of talk about how that tied into with emotions and just recovery? Yeah. No, there's many layers to my recovery story. There's eating disorders started out as the main thing. Um, Substance abuse and alcohol was in there too. And yeah, once I made progress with recovery from an eating disorder, uh, it made more room to focus on alcohol addiction, (laughs) which was just another destructive way to cope. I know for me, it was all just a, a distraction from deeper issues and deeper traumas I wasn't ready to face or process. And uh, oh God, yeah, alcohol got really bad. <laughs> and once I got sober, I felt like I'd plateaued a bit in recovery. I'd come a long way, but getting sober almost three years ago now pushed me so much further in a short amount of time. And in the years since then, I feel like in a really strong place with both sobriety and eating disorder not without some hardship, as I've shared before, I did have like a mental health crisis towards the beginning of that because all my destructive, unhealthy coping mechanisms were suddenly gone. And for the first time in my life, I had to figure out what the hell to do with all these feelings that I was suppressing or or trying to cope with through eating disorder or alcohol. And oh my God, it, you know, it, it slapped me in the face all at once. And I didn't know how to cope because as a child, I wasn't modeled healthy emotional management. And I kind of just went back to being a child and handling my emotions and things that were coming up in very destructive, intense, hysterical ways. And in the years since then, through therapy and a lot of support, I've learned a lot of these things that we're going to talk about in this lesson. We have some clips from some past experts who have been on the show in years prior. And a lot of the things they're saying are the things that I was learning for the first time. And maybe some people are lucky enough to learn this earlier in life. But for me, I'm like in my early 30s, really learning the concept of sitting with discomfort, which is, you know, you're always trying to avoid discomfort with an eating disorder in so many ways. And here I am, you're, you're learning to sit with it and realizing like, oh my God, I can, I can do that and be okay. I, I thought I would, discomfort would kill me. It doesn't. <laughs> so I'm learning how to cope with that, learning how to ride the waves of emotion. The intense emotions really do end. I felt like they wouldn't. And that's what triggered a, a crisis or the unhealthy coping mechanisms in the past, but I've made I've made a lot of progress there. So anyone can do it. <laughs> I think you can do it. Um, I feel like when I'm learning this stuff, I'm like, why wasn't this stuff should be taught in schools to kids? Like <laughs> riding the wave, handling emotions. What a difference it would make. Seriously, that and like I'm all about teaching a kid their astrological chart super early. It's like don't get in the wrong career path just because your dad told you to do this. <laughs> like you're born to do this, babe. Uh, anyways, that's just my <laughs> belief that you can learn a lot about somebody and you look at their astrological chart. Uh, but anyways, that's beyond this lesson for today. But yeah, no, if we were to teach kids emotional management, because I mean, I guess the idea is that they're expected to learn that in the home and in the home. But like, oh my God, how many dysfunctional <laughs> homes are there? And how many? So many. The Yeah. And I just think that's such an important skill and it's never too late to learn emotional literacy just as you can learn new things. We're always able to learn and grow. Um, but it can feel, I, I would agree with you fully, Andrea, like, emotions weren't welcome in my home at all. Either it led to being gaslit or being like actually physically harmed. So it was like not something like, don't be emotional, uh, just hide. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> go hide in your closet. Uh, and that's that's like just hide. And that's where the unhealthy and, coping mechanisms can breed in silence. Yeah, yeah. you just hide. Yeah. You don't you don't face it. You're just like I'm going to go hide from this. I'm going to go like I would hide my eating behaviors. I was I was very like hidden with things. Yeah. You know, I'd hide when I ate. Like it was always hiding things. And so starting to be open with emotions takes vulnerability too because often it means that you have to express them to somebody because there's a boundary that was not set or that was crossed or just needing to advocate for oneself and that can be that can be scary and we can have stories around what that means when i share my truth this happens and if it wasn't always a good outcome when you shared your truth or when you shared your emotions then you can carry that story into the present day and continue to suffocate your own voice, which I found has been such a huge process. And so many people I've worked with um, in our community and our Courage Club is owning your voice, starting to be authentic with who you are and owning your wants and owning your authentic truth. And it's a process. There's so much fear laced inside of that. Like uh, if you're a people pleaser, that's usually at the cost of your own health. And people's eating disorders start to resolve themselves in profound ways once they start advocating and speaking their truth and owning what is yes for them and what is no for them. Because if you don't have that ability or, or, or that courage to do that, well, then you start using the eating disorder as a way to, to hide, to, to suffocate, to, to you know, stifle your voice, your truth. And I do recommend the book, uh, Eating in the Light of the Moon by Dr. Anita Johnston. It's such a great book that talks about this. And she actually says that's the number one skill someone needs to learn in recovery is assertiveness. Boundaries. Boundaries. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're a game changer. Yeah, they don't have to be this like cruel thing. Like sometimes we think about boundaries, ugh, like it's going to like destroy my whole life if I have boundaries. It's like, no, actually your whole life's going to improve. Yeah, it improves relationships. It's You're being kinder to yourself. You're being kinder to others. It's a good thing, I promise. <laughs> Yeah. Part of navigating emotional discomfort comes with these new ways of being, which are setting boundaries and even setting boundaries with oneself. Like, you know, the way I really like to think about boundaries, very simply put, is there's a line and this is okay and this is not okay. And all right. So let's dive into this lesson where we're going to get some expert advice on how you can work with intense emotions and navigate them as you work, as you push past your fears. In our lesson today, we will be exploring how to work with intense emotions. In a previous lesson, we discussed the importance of developing the skill of embracing emotional discomfort when working on anxiety and fear. So the goal we're really looking to get to is to develop the ability to turn towards intense and uncomfortable emotions instead of running away from them to the nearest numbing behavior. Now, today I've invited some of my expert friends to join us in this lesson to give advice on how to work through emotional discomfort in a constructive and positive way. First, let's hear from food and body expert and author of the best selling book, Eating in the Light of the Moon, Dr. Anita Johnston. She has a great metaphor to understand the way emotions work within us. We've bought into the idea that we're capable of controlling our emotions. We're not, not any more than you can swim up a mountain. 
Emotions are a form of energy. They're a wave. And so, and it can't be controlled any more than you can go to the ocean and hold the waves back, right? But you don't have to. You can learn to ride the waves. You can learn to dive under them. Um, and so this idea that control is is an illusion, therefore it is not the tool you want to reach for in these times. So I think it begins with recognizing because we're getting slammed with that. Every single time we think, oh, I got this, I'm in control. It's like, oh, oops, here's that. And so it's really a matter of riding the emotions that flow through you and they're big waves right now. And so it, it's good to ride all of them and so that you can get the hang of it. They come in, they peak, and they will pass. That doesn't mean another one won't come because here it comes and you learn to ride it. I love this metaphor. As a surfer myself, I absolutely love thinking about the concept of being able to surf your emotional waves because it gets to put you in more of an empowered role of a participant in these experiences. We don't want to sit on the shore and just watch. We want to get in there and participate. Because when we surf all waves, we're able to experience more wholeness in our lives. We're not just surfing the fear. We're not just surfing anxiety. We're surfing the fun. We're surfing the gratitude. We're surfing the love. We get to surf all of these waves. And if you're sitting on the shore, you're not really able to surf them. It's kind of hard to surf when you're on the sand. One of my heroes is Bethany Hamilton, and I recommend checking her out. She is a Hawaiian girl who got her arm bit off by a shark. She was on path to becoming a pro surfer. And boom, shark attack. Loses her arm. She not only was able to start to get back into the water and surf again, she is one of the best women surfers in the world with one arm. It's amazing. Check her out. If you want to think about surfing and resilience and being able to get in the water no matter what the wave, this woman is surfing crazy, challenging waves with one arm. It's so impressive. Now for our next expert, we have psychotherapist Dr. Colleen Reichman. She also has a great way of looking at waves and the ups and downs of our emotions. And you'll see that she makes a really great distinction in how we see ourselves versus what the emotion story is or the story behind the emotion. So let's listen what Dr. Colleen Reichman has to say about that. So for me, noticing feelings is just number one that's most important and understanding and reminding myself that feelings are not fact so feeling like a failure is in no way actually means that I'm a failure it's kind of that's really integral but it's okay to feel that way and feel it very strongly just kind of so one thing that I've learned to do is just let it like rise and fall and then it will go away you know it will go away or none of us we'd all be like not here anymore. So it's not about like not feeling shame or any of the more stigmatized emotions or fear or sadness or disappointment myself. It's reminding myself, well, I can feel that way and it's not true. And also like, here's the evidence that it's not true. So X, Y, and Z, Colleen, remember that there's the evidence, but you still feel that way and it's okay. And it's going to kind of rise and fall eventually. So in the meantime, just be nice to yourself 
instead of the old standby of being like really cruel to yourself and making everything worse long term. And it's like everything that perfectionism doesn't want you to do in terms of being vulnerable because like there's no control there. You don't know how the other person's going to write. You're giving up all control or a lot of your control if you're vulnerable. So perfectionism can be kind of a wall against vulnerability. Like I don't have to really engage in life with you because I'm engaging with numbers and achievements and long-term stuff. So I don't actually have to be vulnerable. This is worth saying again. Our feelings are not facts. Our feelings are not facts. We don't want to file them away as truths, but they are messengers. My good friend and transformational coach and author of The Achievement Trap, Brandilyn Tebow, has an amazing way of looking at how our emotions are gifts and why it's important to allow them in and let them be part of your experience. So let's listen to what Brandilyn has to say about that. In our society, we are taught that there are certain emotions and there are emotions that are bad. And if you have an emotion or a thought that we deem bad arise, we're taught that we're supposed to resist it and try to force it out of our awareness. And this is the source of so much suffering. I, it's one of my missions in this world to transform this conversation. Because truly, when something confronting arises within our internal state, when anxiety arises, when sadness arises, when overwhelm arises, when fear arises, when disappointment, feelings of abandonment, all of these emotions that we've been taught are bad or wrong, when they arise, they're coming up because they're wanting to, remember, you have to feel it to heal it. So they're ready to be felt so that they can be transmuted into more love. So every single time they come up, it's an opportunity for us to get to strengthen our muscle of loving, accepting, and forgiving, and get to expand who we are as an individual. And when we see it as that, then life becomes a never-ending possibility of expansion. However, when we live in this hostile environment in which we're afraid of these emotions coming up and showing themselves to us because we believe we're not supposed to feel angry, we're not supposed to feel anxious, we're not supposed to feel sad, I'm supposed to be happy and confident all the time. When we believe this, then we're constantly resisting those parts of ourselves that want to be seen and we're in this fight with ourselves. Whereas when we really get excited, right? Now, honestly, when I have something come up for me, like when I get confronted, I'm like, yes, all right, awesome, opportunity for expansion. I actually get to practice what I preach now. I actually get to practice being with this unwanted part of myself and loving it and seeing it for what it is and accepting it and allowing it to have space. I get to practice being willing to feel it. So really willingness is the key here. And when we're noticing that we're wanting to turn to food or alcoholism or workaholism <laughs> or exercise or whatever that thing is that we individually use to try to turn down the intensity, when we notice that we're trying to turn to that thing, that is our alarm clock going off, reminding us there's something here that wants to be felt and that wants to be transmuted into more love. There's something here that if you're willing to feel it, you're actually going to expand your nervous system and you're going to expand the abundance that you can hold. 
you're actually going to create more spaciousness for love and connection and joy to come into your being if you're willing to sit with this unwanted thing. So if we can make that tweak and start to see everything that we have resistance to as, as an opportunity for personal growth and expansion, then there's no longer anything to be afraid of. And this is where the work comes in. To be able to say, I want to experience it all. Come ye all ye emotions. <laughs> Come ye emotions to my door. I will let you in. Be my guest in my home. Stay as long as you need. And ironically, they don't stay as long when you're not there trying to fence them out. Now we have one more special guest, Angela Golner. She is an actress and created an amazing dark comedy series on binge eating called Binge. She has a quick story of what it's like to go from fearing emotions to gently allowing them in and how it's worked for her. So let's hear what Angela has to say about her experience with letting emotions in. It's, it's empowering to like let yourself feel the feelings you normally don't. Like, like sadness and anger are feelings that are hard for me to feel and that I really resist feeling. And when I was in my eating disorder, like those feelings cropping up would be big reasons to binge. But just knowing that the feelings can't kill you and they actually like can't, I had a therapist once tell me like, you can only feel a feeling for like X amount of seconds before it transitions to a different feeling, like physiologically and in your brain. Like it can't last forever. It can't even probably last more than a couple of minutes, really, without turning into a different type of feeling. So let this be a reminder that no feeling is final and no feeling will last forever. This is very important to remember. Even if it's so intense and scary and you're like, I totally can't handle this, like intensity level too high. I do not like this at all. It will not last forever. No feeling is final. It can be rough, but it's not final. So to wrap this up, in this lesson, you learned that, one, we cannot control our emotions, just like we can't control the waves in the ocean, but we can learn to ride them. Two, feelings are not facts. It's important to not file them away as truths. Third and finally, giving yourself permission to sit with your feelings is an opportunity for expansion and growth. So now let's take this from theory to practice. Starting today, this week, begin to increase your emotional literacy by paying attention to your feelings. Start to identify them. Start to label them. Notice where they are in your body. Notice any physiological changes when you experience a certain emotion. To start, try doing this a few times a day. And simply ask yourself, what am I feeling? No judgment, any emotion is valid. There is no right or wrong emotion. Now, at first, you may struggle to wrap a word around your feeling state. And that is totally okay. I want you to think back to when you were first learning to read and where you are at now. You went from Cat in the Hat children's books to Brene Brown level chapter books. So just like you were able to improve your reading word by word, 
you can too become more emotionally literate, feeling by feeling, with awareness, practice, and time. The greatest things in life are on the other side of fear, so let's not waste another moment of our precious lives holding ourselves back. And if you want support to cultivate the courage to face your own fears in recovery, head over to www.jointhecourageclub.com to get on the waitlist for The Courage Club. The Courage Club is a personalized support system and a supportive community to uplift you every step of the way. Picture yourself surrounded by a community of resilient warriors who genuinely care about your progress and will celebrate every victory, no matter how small, and are walking on a similar path to full eating disorder recovery. Inside, we are tackling struggles with food, body image concerns, and negative thought patterns. Head over to www.jointhecourageclub.com and embrace the journey towards a healthier and happier you. Thank you for tuning in today. And remember that fear doesn't have to hold you back. You can live with greater courage and take back your precious power.